Hi, everybody. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. It is almost the end of June 5th, 2023, and just the beginning of the 17th of Sivan, 5783. I'm sitting here in my home in Efrat in the beautiful Judean Hills. Sun just set. And once again, and it never goes away, just thanking God for the incredible privilege of living in this land. Guided all day today, guiding tomorrow. It's busy, it's wonderful, it's hectic, and it is also uh, confusing at times. And so in order to help answer some of those questions, I have on the line with me now Rabbi Doron Perez, who is, uh, well, is the head of Mizrahi here. in Israel, but uh, he wrote a wonderful book, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, it's called The Jewish State, From Opposition to Opportunity, and quite honestly, uh, Rav Doron, when I took the book, I thought, okay, this is going to be, you know, it's going to be an interesting book, but I've read so many books about Israel, about the Jewish state, and what's going on, and I interviewed Michael Oren last month, and about the challenges we have, and I have to say how pleasantly surprised I was by the book, and about how cogently and clearly you write down all the issues. So first of all, welcome to Rejuvenation. I know you've had a long and busy day, so thank you so much. I'll tell the listeners, He's in his car because once he goes home, <laughs> another kind of chaos breaks loose. So he's he's sitting in his car to give us some peace and quiet. And I so appreciate you finding a few minutes for me and for my listeners. So first of all, welcome to Rejuvenation. Thank you so much, Eve. It's a real honor and privilege to be with you on Rejuvenation. So firstly, I hope the listeners forgive my South African accent. Indeed, it's a South African accent and not everyone is familiar with it. I love the South African accent. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So it's an honor and privilege to be with you. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't matter how long the day is, you know, like you, I just absolutely love what I do. And just having the privilege of living in Israel and feeling that you're just part of Jewish history and Jewish destiny and human destiny for that matter. It's just such an unbelievable privilege. You've got to pinch yourself that, uh, and literally every day of the of the pleasure of being here. So it's it's just so wonderful. And it's an honor to be with you. And you are one of our top tour guides as well and educators. And we travel together around the world as well in different uh and different uh you know events that forums. we have. So it's an honor and privilege and forums to be with you in this uh, podcast. Thank you for hosting me. Well, so for my listeners who don't know what the Mizrahi organization is, and I have to say that my grandparents who passed away a long time ago, they were members of Mizrahi. Way back in, you know, oh my God, it must be the 1940s, the 1950s. So this is an organization with, with deep roots and, uh, and really has been re-inspired, I would say, here uh, in the last few years, not in small part to what you're doing. So maybe let's give a little background of what exactly the Mizrahi or the Religious Zionist organization is. Thank you very much for the question. So, of course, the Mizrahi movement, firstly, most people know the word Mizrahi in its other meaning. It means often Jews of a Sephardic background, right, from the more Arab and Spanish countries. So, where you know, if one, if one Googles Mizrahi, you often find a Mizrahi type of Jew, which is the Sephardic Jews. But that's not our, what our Mizrahi, of course, is. Our Mizrahi is, yeah, our Mizrahi is an acronym for the very first and, uh, and longest uh, surviving and flourishing religious Zionist movement of the modern era. We all know that when Herzl founded the World Zionist Organization, just over 125 years ago in 1897, many Orthodox religious Jews 
as we know, did not quite know what to do with this movement. I don't think they, they envisaged, envisaged the image of uh, some type of messianic figure in the figure of Herzl, who wasn't an observant Jew. And he was, he was a man who initiated an organization which has gone on to fulfill so many biblical prophecies to the ingathering of the exiles, and the, the restoration of Jews from all around the world. As we know, over this last day of independence, there's now 7 million Jews living in the land of Israel, almost 10 million civilians, never been so many Jews uh, living in the land of Israel. And the restoration of Jewish sovereignty, the ingathering of the exiles, is probably the most salient prophecy of all biblical prophecies. And therefore, when Herzl founded this, on the one hand, it was unleashing a movement to bring Jews back to the Holy Land. On the other hand, it was, uh, you know, it had a sort of secular nationalist nature, which is not quite the religious sort of, uh, let's call it language and packaging that people were expecting. So many religious Orthodox Jews did not quite know what to do with it and kept it at arm's length. But there were many uh, rabbinic and religious leaders who believed that despite some of the challenges and and, uh, and complexity, the, 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 the Zionist endeavor needs to be partnered with and religious Jews should be part of it. So they founded a movement just over 120 years ago called Mizrahi. It's an acronym for Merkaz Ruhani, which means spiritual center. And essentially, they saw their role as partnering with the Zionist endeavor from within. If you want to change and, and, and be a part of something, then you need to be on the inside and bringing it back to its spiritual center, to its biblical uh, and religious roots. And essentially, that's what Mizrahi is for over 120 years now, connecting Jews around the world and in Israel in, in a profound way to uh, supporting the Zionist endeavor, supporting the state of Israel, and, and showing that there is no contradiction between Zionism and religiosity, hence religious Zionism. There need, there need be no contradiction between nationalism and religiosity, between the rebuilding of Jewish statehood and its spiritual roots. And essentially, that is the main aim of the Mizrahi movement, to, to see the spiritual, biblical, deep um, religious nature of the state of Israel and its role in uh, its its role in Jewish and human destiny. So, on a practical sense, because I, of course, also identify myself as a religious Zionist, um, it's one of the it's a major reason, of course, that I came to live in Israel because I felt that it wasn't just my destiny; it was it would have been hypocritical of me to live any other way. Um, the most difficult and the most amazing decision I ever made in my entire life, um, but. It's not without its difficulties and contradictions precisely because of how you described it. Because you look around and Israel is not, the Messiah is not here yet. The temple isn't built. And there are still many Jews, many quite Orthodox Jews, who don't accept this as the third commonwealth, shall we say, because of those reasons, right? And so, and, but on the other, and, but on the other hand, we're surrounded with incredible Jews who are not necessarily Torah Jews, even though they are, many of them are more than they think they are, but they wouldn't define themselves as religious. And so there's this group of us in the middle, and how does it go? The most, who said this, Yosef Berg, that the most important part of religious Zionism was actually the hyphen that bridges them. Maybe you can elaborate on that, on that, on that balance between, for example, my sons went to the army. My children you know, went to the army because we feel very much that this state needs to be protected, that this, this modern state is the beginnings, very much so, of the ultimate redemption, and we have to do 
all of our part, work, pay taxes, but also do the difficult things like the army. Um, and all, but also blend that with a Torah lifestyle, with making time to learn Torah, with living a religious lifestyle. So how would you, how would you define that balance, which is, as, as any kind of balance, is not an easy one to maintain. So some of, some of our kids have gone one direction and some have emphasized the other. So how do you, as really, I would say, the head of the premier organization, uh, a lot of the children of this camp, in terms of being able to blend the two in a, in a world that, as my listeners know, no matter where they live, has a lot of different pressures and pulls in many, many different directions, not always all of them in the direction of God, let's say, or religious lifestyle. Yeah, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head, and uh, and I think you've touched on the most, the biggest, I'd say, almost the salient challenge of life. There's no doubt that sometimes it's a lot simpler to be one-dimensional and monolithic. To say, you know, I live in a religious world, and let me just sort of do, let me be a purist and and live in that way, or I live in a secular world, and let me be a purist. And I think exactly what you said, indeed, in the name of the iconic head of the Mizrahi movement for many decades ago. Dr. Joseph Berg, exactly what you said, where he said the, the, the essence of the religious Zionist ideology is not the religious or the Zionist, it's the dash, the heart in which joins them, which I think first and foremost goes to the essence of our religious philosophy, which is that the Torah is a Torah time, it's a Torah of life. The whole essence of the Torah is how does it relate to all the vicissitudes of human life, the physical side, the emotional side, the spiritual side. It, it engages every every part of life, and therefore, part the, the Torah is bringing it to life. We all know that the the Torah is full of engaging with um, sovereignty, with the political side, with the, with the with the uh, you know the army and the military, uh, Parshat Kitetz and Shoftim. It, it engages, right? King David waged wars. It was an unfortunate uh, necessity of life to defend our life and our way of life. So, the Torah, as we know, has has rules. And your military camp should be holy, and you need to aspire to serve God also in the unlikely situation where life is challenging. It's just easier. I think we see around the world somehow a more extreme, one-dimensional, monolithic view of the world is is, is in many ways easier. The, the late chief rabbi of of South Africa, the late his name is Rabbi Cyril Harris. He used to say, "You take what you call the maximalistic approach, not the minimalistic." There's a maximalist approach which tries to embrace everything. And I think that's what religious Zionism is all about. And, and that it's challenging. There's no doubt it's challenging. It is not easy uh, to be a, 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 a Torah-observant Jew and serve in the Israeli army, uh, to serve in any army for that matter. It's not always so straightforward to be in academia and to be religious. It's not always so simple in, in all areas of life. Mm-hmm. But that, that, I think, is the, that is the essence of a Torah Chaim. A person has to try and exactly. you know, be that dash. Which It's not simple. It's not simple. And that's what makes life challenging. I would say, you know, the older I get, the more I see that life is about balance. We all, how, how difficult is mm-hmm. it to be uh, growing as an individual, to be a good spouse, if one is blessed, to be a good child, to be yes. a good parent. And even if you're a good parent, you got to be a good parent to each one of your kids. It doesn't, you know, you can succeed with one kid, not with another. And even once you've got all of that balance, right, then you want to be good in the, in your community and in your job, in your in society. There's so many balancing acts and there's so many roles that we fulfill. And so often in life, we we succeed in one and are struggling in the other. So I think life is a balancing act. And I think this our, our ideology is one where we try and strike this balance. It might be easier 
to say, you know what, uh, you know, there's secular Israel, which is easier to be part of, or there's religious Israel, it's easier to be part of, to say we want to be part of both and to, you know, to, to somehow bring them together. I think it's more challenging, but I think uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the maximalist and the ideal way. So one of the things that's gone on in the last few years, and I think your book, if I may be so chutzpahdik to say so, is kind of an outgrowth of that, is an emphasis on Mizrahi on that kind of education. Um, and you didn't quit even with COVID, and I was involved with virtual things that we did, and you have now inspired hundreds of educators that go out, just went out a few weeks ago to different parts of the world to bring people who live here, to bring that exact, the challenges and the inspiration of exactly that balance out to the world. Was that, uh, I mean, did you like look around and say, this message is not going out, it's a wonderful organization, but it needs now to tweak for the current world, for the in, the massive amounts of information that people are mm-hmm. getting, that most of it is wrong, or on the via the internet and the communication, there has never been communication the way there is today. But how do you filter through? How do you know what's right, what's wrong, what's what's the living Torah, what's the wisdom of the ages? So, um, how did you, you know, in the last few years, make that decision? And really, it's, I'm sure it is a tremendous amount of work. There are so many balls in the air at any given time. I see what's going on. How, how do you have that? You have a staff of people. You have a board. Thank, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I think, I think everything comes down, Eve, to relevance. You have to be relevant. If you're not relevant, then you don't have a role to play. So I think for us, I must be honest, I think, you know, I, 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 I was very privileged for many years to be the head of Mizrahi in South Africa. I was a community rabbi, head of the school, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, and ran the organization there. And I know, I know, I knew what I needed in South Africa. And what I try to do in this new role at World Mizrahi, where I've been since coming back from South Africa nine years ago, is give to communities around the world what I felt I lacked, and to be part of the change instead of complaining about. It. Which means I think the main shift, Eve, was the fact that as a religious Zionist organization, any Zionist organization, we very focused on Israel because we Zionists, and, and Israel is where we focus. But I think what we see is from so many of the Mizrahi-type communities around the world, our single-minded focus on Israel, like you had said, the greatest decision you've made in your life is moving to Israel and me too. And we passionately want to be in Israel and be part of it. But we know that seven, if there's 7 million Jews who live in Israel, there's a similar amount who live outside of Israel, facing tremendous challenges, challenges of identity and assimilation, challenges today on campuses throughout the United States and in many places of even being overtly supportive of Israel, you've got to, you know, as we know, is a major challenge. And, and that, so I think that, I think the, the number, the first shift for us, he was said, you know what, we need to have a message for our communities around the world, not only to talk to us living in Israel, but, and obviously with, with speakers such as yourself and many hundreds of super competent speakers to travel regularly to communities around the world. In fact, as we speak, there are about 10 speakers leaving for, for, for France. We send speakers all the time to different communities. We, we're part of the English-speaking uh, communities, but there's also a massive community in France, as we know, and many others. And so number one number one is engaging educators and, and, and people who can inspire to, to, to dispatch them to communities around the world, number one. Number two, and of course, in the internet information age, we can connect in so many ways. And of course, as we know, uh, during COVID, that's all we could do. 
And, uh, and therefore, that's really, you know, it, so we as Mizrahi had to sort of adapt to that reality and what, create what we call this this virtual, uh, you know, um, uh, in, international Beit Midrash of learning because that's all there was. And it's basically being relevant. So once the idea was to be relevant to the millions of Jews a- and all those around the world, non-Jews as well, who are looking to, you know, to connect to Israel in a meaningful and to deepen the spiritual connection, but it, meaning... In today's day and age, you can be relevant uh, in, in so many ways, not only through speakers and not only through, you know, through the human touch, but also through the virtual uh, Internet world. So that's really, I think, what we try to do is just once we refocused and said, you know, what, we've got a message out there. There's so many millions around the world who, uh, who, who, who want to deepen their connection to Israel, deepen their Jewish identity, deepen their Zionist identity. Let's try and serve them in the most um, meaningful way. And I think everything flowed from that. And then, and then you adapt to the situation. When you can send shlichim emissaries, you send them. And when you've got to work, uh, you know, only online, you work online. And you've probably got to do a little bit of every. You got to do a little bit of everything. But I think the key for the key for me was being relevant to 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 Jews, to to people around the world, to those around the world, Jews and Gentiles around the world, whoever wants to connect with Israel, right, in a meaningful and deep uh, spiritual way. Let's offer something which is meaningful and deep. And as you remember, when when people could not visit Israel, so we created all these virtual, you know, tours. Like you, you, you were so much part of that, you know. So you know, so you can't come and visit Israel, but here maybe with Eve Harrow, she she can take you around places in Israel that you would never otherwise be able to. I can tell you, Eve. I remember, if you remember, we did the the uh, on Tisha B'av, you know, the 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 the, the, the tragic day of the destruction. We we read of course the kinot these uh these lament not lamentations what a kinot in English I don't know these type of uh there's a there's a, there's a word for them these type of poems about the destruction of the temple and the tragedies of Jewish history that we read on on you know on this on the on the fast and the, the day of mourning when the temples were destroyed so that first Tishabab, there were people who said they sat for the first time they couldn't even go to shul they couldn't even attend synagogue they sat in their homes. And one person wrote to me, she's a senior, she's a professor, senior educator. She said, Doron, I feel bad saying this, but this was the best Tisha B'Av I ever had. Meaning, it was the most, it was the most meaningful. I sat in my, my home in the United States, in this particular city, not knowing how I'm going to connect. And all of a sudden, your 15 tours of places in Israel and around the world of where people, where there was Jewish suffering. And she said, I cannot tell you what this did for my experience of, of Tisha B'Av. So, so there's, there's often opportunities in these, uh, in these challenges. And I think it's, a, it's reading the situation and seeing how you can be relevant in any given set of circumstances. So I remember that. I think I did it on Beitar, about the destruction of Beitar. And yeah, it was, I know that it was very moving for me and for all of those who were involved because we realized that at that time and place where people couldn't come to Israel, we were connecting yeah. people with something that was so much bigger than we were because we were stuck here. And we were able to go to the places where certain things had happened and be able to give that messaging out because there's such a tremendous power of place to this land because this is where it happened. This is where it's still happening and will continue to happen for a very long time. Um, I don't want to keep you for too long, but I, I, first of all, I really want to recommend the book to all my <laughs> listeners, both Jews and non-Jews. Um, I thought I knew pretty much everything that was going on here. And it turns out that I learned a lot from the book, which was absolutely tremendous. It's easy to read. It's not 
long-winded and, and the, the, you really distill the, the arguments and distill, not even the arguments, but you put out the challenges and you put out the good things as well as the things that we still have to work on. But towards the end of the book, you have a line that I thought was absolutely fascinating. This book has been less about geopolitics and more about metaphysics. There ought to be a third way in the spiritual realm too. We have argued that this may indeed be the ultimate spiritual key to the problems facing the Jewish people in the world and that everyone else, that every one of us can do something about it. And you, you go on to say something that I deeply believe that the story of Israel is the story of mankind. This isn't just a little country with some Jewish people who managed to survive endless persecutions and running around the world and through God's tremendous love for us, he brought us home and we're holding the line and it's not so easy. How would you explain that about how, yeah. how well, you actually quote the historian so, Paul Johnson yeah. so I think that Israel is a Paul Johnson, as you know, a, 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 you know a, a religiously observant Catholic and one of the uh, internationally recognized outstanding uh, you know, historians. He himself writes in his introduction to the history of the Jews. He says, you exactly. know, one of the reasons I wrote this book is to also appreciate what the Jews have done for humanity, but what the Jews have done, it's knowing my own roots as a Christian, which is based on the Hebrew Bible, even I mean, even the foundations, which also led to the Christian faith as well. And he, he, he says the most unbelievable thing, as you quoted in his epilogue, he says, you know, the Jewish people are the pilot project for humanity. Somehow, whatever happens to the Jewish people is somehow linked to human destiny. I think it also explains, uh, you know, Eve, this irrational obsession with Israel. I mean, here we've got this tiny little country, tiny little country with this tiny little people, less than one-fifth of one percent. You know, I've yet to find one map, any uh, map where you can write the words I-S-R-A-E-L and fit them into fit them into Israel. You know, you're starting Greece and you're in Afghanistan. This tiny little country the size of New Jersey and El Salvador, as we know. <laughs> and yet, this tiny people in tiny country, a, a yeah. house built in A1, or E1, causes a ripple effect anywhere around the world. Judicial reform. Does anybody care or know about any internal issue of any other country yet? An internal issue facing the Jewish people, the state of Israel, has become something almost every prime minister and foreign minister feels the need to say something about. There's an obsession with, there's an obsession with Israel. Jews are news. And it seems to be because, and also, by the way, Rabbi Cook, who I base a lot on, on the writings of Rabbi Cook, the famous founding rabbi, chief rabbinate of pre-state Israel, he writes an amazing thing, and I quote it in the book in the beginning of uh, Lights of Israel, or Israel. He yes. says, not only the Jewish people, the pilot project of humanity, which is what Johnson says, Rabbi Cook says, it's the essence, it's, it's almost the microcosm, the, the, the nucleus of what's happening in the world. It's almost crystallizing all this. Rob Cook says, every issue going on in the world, you somehow find in a mini concentrated way in Israel. You can find the biggest atheists in Israel and the most religious fundamentalists. You can find in Israel, the Jewish people and in Israel, the biggest capitalists and the biggest socialists, left and right, religious, religious. Somehow all the views are crystallized into one, into this sort of concentrate. And, says Rob Cook, we get it right where the whole world is almost projecting their issues onto us. They're looking at this mirror of themselves, perhaps sometimes forgiving themselves for much larger indiscretions, but not forgiving Israel, because somehow the world understands, whether they're conscious or not conscious of it, 
is that what happens in Israel really impacts on the rest of the world. And if Israel can get the judicial reform right, and if Israel can get the balance between secular and religious right, and if Israel can get the balance between left and right, every country almost today in the Western world is roiled between left and right. I was actually reading a fascinating, um, 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 in reading, I heard a lecture where they said even in the United States, about 30 years ago, they asked Democrats and Republicans, uh, that, would it bother them if their children married somebody from, uh, you know, the Democrats married Republicans and other, other way around? 7% said it would bother them. Today, even it's over 50%, 50% of either side says they would wa- not want their children to marry. 50%. I mean, we've got this situation today where the world is being no, so divided really? between one in a, in, in a monolithic way. And I think the world is roiled and divided. Israel's roiled and divided. But the, the, the aim of the book was to do two things. First, it was to understand the first part of the book, which I'll touch on briefly, was aiming to understand why the state of Israel has uh, elicited so much Israel. And how did Zionism elicit so much anti-Zionism and and how did how did anti-Semitism mutate? Because we know Herzl writes in his he says, the new state of Israel, which will happen, the state of the Jews, will solve the problem of anti-Semitism. But all it really did was it mutated and created a new type, which is anti-Jewish state or anti-Israel. That's the first part of the book. And that's what I called opposition to the Jewish state. But I called it from opposition to opportunity, because I think the big opportunity we have in Israel is... If Israel can create unity from within, I call it a vision for unity in Israel and why the world needs it. If Israel can create this unity between all these, what we said, religious and secular, sacred and spirituality, between uh, the national universal, the, the you know all the different things which divide us and divide humanity, if we can get it right between a Jewish and democratic state, all of these things, I think the whole world is focused on it because they understand that this is really their story in a nutshell. And if this and if this fits, if this fits into place, it can be some type of pilot project, for example, for the rest of humanity. So I think that is the tremendous mm-hmm. responsibility that God has bestowed upon the Jewish people. He says, die, you are my witnesses. You are here to give testimony that that godliness and spirituality can blend in the world. You can get this balance right. It's not easy. But uh, and I think that is the aim. We also know that the word Yisrael, Israel, right, is the one who struggled with with man and with God and succeeded. The whole purpose of Jude is the struggle. Jacob becomes Israel when he struggles both with human forces and that's divine right. forces. And that's really the struggle. Can we bring the human story and the divine story together? That's ultimately the story of the Jewish people. That's what the Hebrew Bible is all about. That's what, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He revealed himself to human beings and was hoping that humanity and eventually became through this pilot project of Abraham and his progeny the Jewish people could be those witnesses to say, you know what, we can bring it together. We can make it all the secular and spiritual work together. It's a tremendous responsibility. And that's our, the great privilege that we have. And what a privilege it is to have a state of Israel today, a renewed commonwealth, struggling with all of these issues, but just being such a light on, on so many areas. Yes, there's darkness. Light have shadows as well. Light casts shadows as well. And there's challenge. But w- w- what a pleasure and a privilege. And I think we are, we are, we are, dealing and struggling with the very essence of Jewish and human destiny and what a privilege. Yes, and the organization that you represent so beautifully, Mizrahi, again, the balance between the religion and the day-to-day. We live in a very, very real world with all its challenges and the need to make a living and all of those basic things, but we also live in a world where 
where we have God, where we have Hashem. And I think that that's what the world is seeing as well. And I know many people from the people that I guide and the people that I speak to when I go out are struggling, are searching for Hashem in whatever way it is and whatever religion that they are part mm-hmm. of, are searching for Hashem. And they look at us as really God's people. And uh, flawed, absolutely. Nowhere near perfect. And the Bible is all about all the mess-ups that everybody did. But that's, but that's who we all are as individuals. That's who we are as a people. And uh, I'm just so proud to belong to, to these people, to this particular camp, and really trying to get the message out in any way that they can, that there is a balance between Tanakh and the modern world. We're not, we're not floating around <laughs> in the bubble. So, Rav Doron Perez, thank you so much. Thank you for the book. I highly recommend. I really think this should be required reading, definitely for every 12th grader. Anybody going out into college, anybody really on the verge of adulthood who's trying to understand and all the messages that are coming in. I think this thank clarifies you. a lot thank of things. You. And I thank you so much for putting it out there. It was right, really very you. much needed. And thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. And uh, I'm looking forward to continue working with you in the future. So thank you so much. Okay. And just to my listeners, in uh, it is now uh, wow. towards the end of Sivan, on Kafchet Sivan, on the 20th day of Sivan. It is 35 years since we moved to Israel, my husband and I, and at the time, three children. Thank God four more were born here. It is a day that we have made a personal holiday, as great rabbis have said we can do in the past, where we say the Hallel prayer, and we, we it is a personal holiday for us because we... We feel like we were chosen. We were chosen to come and live in the land to try and make a difference. And, uh, and that is what we're doing. And that's, I know, what I've devoted my life to and what Rav Doron has done as well in a tremendous way, in a tremendous fashion. So thank you so much. Thank you to all my listeners. And uh, be well wherever you are. Eve Harrow Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. With thanks to Tabitha and to Ben for getting this show out every single week. All right, I've got to be up early. Got lots to do. Take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. The Land of Israel Network is your connection to Israel and the Jewish world. Listen to our show hosts, Ari Abramowitz, Jeremy Gimpel, Eve Harrow, Josh Haston, Mike Foyer, Yishai Fleischer, and more. Keeping you up to date on news, politics, and spirituality. That's the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Broadcasting the truth and beauty of Israel to the world.